right, welcome to another edition of Drunk Agile. As always, I am Daniel Vacanti, and with me is... Pratik Singh. Um, I guess as the guest, you always get to go first. What did you choose for your drink tonight? Um, so because we're, we're, gonna need a, we're gonna need a heavy one tonight, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I had a choice between either repeating, since I've run through my whiskey collection in the quarantine so quickly, or going with a whiskey with an E, so I chose to go with the bourbon. That's a wild turkey rare breed. For those of you who can see that. And it's 58.4% 116 proof. Um, it's one of their, their barrel proof selects that wild turkey does. And it's probably my favorite wild turkey expression. So that's what I have. We were talking about this before. Pratik is now officially banned from Drunk Agile after only the third episode. <laughs> who had the over and under of three? I had two, so. Um, all right, I am going with a, uh, a Glen Duranic. I don't know yeah. if anybody can see. This is one that I actually bottled myself at the distillery. Um, it is a sherry cask, 60%. It says exactly 60%. I don't know if it can be, but yeah, 60%. Um, a 15-year-old um, Glen Duranic sherry cask. So. Let's let's see how we do um, on this. We were debating. We can't remember. We need to go to the tape and see. Do we normally pour first or do we pour after? That looks pretty good. We, we definitely finish during. That's all. <laughs> yeah, there's a rude joke there that we're not going to go into. Um, all right. So cheers, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of, um, of Drunk Agile. So I don't know, Pratik, would you like to introduce our topic for tonight? Oh, after we had a sip, yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, well, today, today we, we, we had to pick um, higher proof than usual because we're, we're we're talking Monte Carlo, and um, last last time around we talked a lot about probabilistic thinking. Um, this time we're talking about how to put that probabilistic thinking in action. So, yep. yeah, it's, it's it's Monte Carlo time. So yeah, so if we if we remember the kind of the from last time, the essence of probabilistic thinking is just acknowledging whenever we're trying to make a forecast, whenever we're talking about the future and uncertainty is involved, uncertainty is involved, we just need to acknowledge that there is more than one possible future outcome. We do not know. We cannot predict the future with 100% certainty, right? There, the future is not deterministic, which is why we need to think probabilistically and which is why we need tools to help us think probabilistically. Because I think as we talked about last time, humans are inherently crap at thinking probabilistically we don't when we when people when people see numbers percentages they just they just freak out so tonight we're hopefully going to do a deep dive in terms of um what's you know what are some tools specifically a tool available to help us in that probabilistic thinking so i don't know do you we've said a lot about monte carlo simulation i don't know sometimes maybe that name scares some people they're like what is monte carlo i don't know what that what that means are we we talking about casinos here why you know what is monte carlo why monte carlo can you help us out with that yeah and then and, and and maybe maybe right after why monte carlo we should talk about why not monte carlo mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or why not other things that's fair um, that's fair yeah, yeah uh, monte carlo is uh, i mean the, i guess the simplest way i could describe it is to say let's uh, model the future in some way and then run that model hundreds, thousands, 10,000, million times and find out what the results are. How often does one, um, as we said earlier, 
the first thing we have to recognize is the future has multiple possibilities. How often does each of those possibilities happen? So then we can figure out what's the probability of each of those possibilities happening. Yeah, so you know what? That's that simple. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I doubt anybody understood that, but thanks, thanks for trying. Um, thanks for playing. We have some wonderful parting gifts for you. Um, you know, one of the ways that I, I, you know, I like to talk about Monte Carlo simulation is uh, everybody understands, like, you know, if, if you have a, a coin and you flip that coin, what are the chances of it coming up heads? And, and I think everybody understands, well, the chance of it coming up head is, is 50% because people realize um, there are two possible outcomes. Remember, there's more than one possible outcome. So in, in flipping a coin, there are two. There's tails or heads. And um, heads is one of those outcomes. So one divided by two is you know, 50%, that's, you know, that's kind of how the math works. Um, but if, let's say you were really, really, really bad at math, right, like, like most Americans, let's just say that you're really, 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 really bad at math. How might you know what the probability of, of flipping, you know, a coin is and it coming up heads? And one of the ways we would, you know, one of the ways you might try it is just flip it over and over and over, just try it, just try it over and over and just track. And after a while, you would see that, that the, you know, it coming up tails and it coming up heads, uh, you know, roughly equal, roughly equal chances of that happening. Now, it turns out to figure the exact probability, you'd need to do math, and it's probably harder, ma harder math than one divided by two, but let's, let's forget about that. You know, same thing with rolling, you know, rolling dice. What's, if, if we have two six-sided die and we roll them, what are the chances of it coming up seven? What are the chances of coming up 12? Again, one way we could figure that out is roll it over and over and over and over and over again and just, and just find out. Um, those are simple examples. In our world, they're really difficult, really hard, complex, and in some cases, it's either impossible or, or extremely, extremely difficult to figure out those, those probabilities by hand. Um, so the only option we have is to try it over and over and over and over and over again. And that's essentially what, what when we say Monte Carlo simulation, that's exactly what we're talking about is. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, it's not a technique that any of us invented. It's, it's been around for a while and it's something that is used in so many different applications and um yeah if anybody's interested in the history of monte carlo you can look up you know, like uh, the manhattan project and uh, there's some pretty interesting interesting stories on how it was uh, uh it was first applied there but um i don't know we could dedicate a a segment to the history of monte carlo if, if we want to but we've got more pressing things more important things to talk about tonight so and if you can keep going kind of explaining monte carlo well, I, was, I was gonna i was gonna actually pose a different question which is sure monte carlo is a way and we're gonna spend a bunch of time talking about that um aren't there other ways isn't isn't there mathematically proven statistical ways that people have been doing forever that we could probably look at I don't know how mathematically proven it is, but you know, throwing darts or yeah. <laughs> curling up on the floor and crying, or you know, those those are those are my those are my methods when somebody asks me to make a forecast. Right? Yeah, um, I don't uh, know. Wait, are you are you talking about like re regression or uh, those those types? Well, of things yeah. If, if 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 what we are trying to say is that we need a probabilistic way to look at the world and get be able to acknowledge multiple outcomes what about averages and standard deviations why not use something like that to oh you mean oh hey, of course options curve fitting yeah we need we need yeah. to take our data we need to fit it to a curve and then we can yep. use that curve yeah why don't i mean it's weibull yeah <laughs> so maybe let's let's put that on the whiteboard that's probably maybe our next um our next option is why why don't we do some of these things we're, we're like, gonna need we're, we're gonna need heavier whiskey <laughs> 
oh wow yeah we're gonna need like some everclear or something like that for that but so we will talk about you know in maybe the next one or, or a, a very similar one why don't you, you may have heard of things like curve fitting you may have heard of things like you know the calculator average or a standard deviation you may have heard of you know some of these other statistical techniques um and we need to devote some time as to why we at least in our opinion anyway those are I don't want to say invalid, but I'm going to say invalid or, you know, probably, probably not useful, probably not. Probably more inappropriate than inappropriate. invalid. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. Okay, good. So just, just a little teaser for, for next time. Actually, we should take a drink every time we say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to cover that in a future episode. We need to, well, we're going to turn uh, this into a drinking game. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> All right. Monte Carlo. What is it? I waved our hands. It's like, okay, it's this way of simulating future outcomes to come up with probabilities, but mechanically, how does it work? I mean, what, for, for teams, like if I'm a team and I'm trying to forecast, say, a release date, how do I use Monte Carlo simulation for that? Well, probably, you know, as a picture's worth a thousand words, so I'm gonna screen share. Okay. And I'm going to use a team's data that will remain unnamed. Hopefully, say, hopefully it's not screen. it's not up in the corner there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um this this is a team scatter plot. We talked a little bit about scatter plots in the story points discussion. We haven't gotten too much into it, but that's not as important. What's each each dot here represents an item that's done. What's important from a Monte Carlo perspective, at least uh, as applying it to a team's perspective, is what is the throughput for that team? And I'm going to define that just actually while I pull that up, uh, Dan, if you want to define what throughput is. Yeah, so there are, are several basic, you know, when, we, when we're talking about um, this type of forecasting, when we're talking about just flow in general, there, there, there are, I guess at a high level, four, four metrics that we basically care about, just, you know, from four flow metrics that, that we care about. Um, the first is, as Pratik just showed, is, is cycle time. is something called cycle time. Um, and that is just really a measure of elapsed time between some start point and some end point. Now, how you define that start point and end point is completely up to you, but um, imagine you have a process and you have a, a start point well-defined and an end point well-defined. The, the amount of time between those two points is, is what we're going to call cycle time. Um, the, um, any work that is started but not finished, any work that is past that start point but not past the end point, uh, we're gonna call that work in progress. That's another metric. Um, how long it has been since something started but hasn't finished yet, uh, we're gonna call that age, work item age. And again, that's something, we're, work item age is something we're gonna talk about in a future video. Take a drink. And so the last metric that we're gonna concern ourselves with here um, is throughput. And all throughput is, is a count of the number of items that cross that endpoint. Remember, we have that well-defined endpoint. Throughput is just a count of the number of items that cross that endpoint per unit of time. Um, in in the, all the examples we're going to show you tonight, I'm, I'm thinking in all the examples we're going to show you tonight, that, that, that unit of time is days. So we're literally going to count every day how many items finish, right? how many items cross that finish point. And we're going to track that over the history of, of our team or our project or our release or, or whatever. And so every day, so like what Pratik has highlighted here, you can see this team got two items done on August 17th. You know, they got April. 
sorry, April, thank you, April 17th, my eyes, I need, I need new glasses. It's quarantine, I can't get to the doctor. Um, so the heights of those bars represent how many items um, that, that teams got done. They got, they got three items done on April 24th. Anytime, by the way, anytime you see a gap between the bars, that means they got zero items done on that particular day, which is why I, I prefer a different view. Critique likes the bar view, but there's a, a different view. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is, this is the teams. There's, there's a line view, so you can actually explicitly see those zeros. If, if you cut, yeah, if you over over those dots, you can see. Same data, just as a, as a line chart as opposed to a bar chart. Um, so this is the teams historical looks like for the past what, to three months. Since March first, yeah. yeah. So about about three months worth of data. This is now that it's about the end of May. Um, the past three months. This is how how many things they've got done every day for the past three months. So we, the way Monte Carlo at least works, and the way the way we make it work at least, is we take that data, which is the number of items that got done and run it through this Monte Carlo simulation engine to come up with some results. Um, the question though, the first, first question we're trying to answer here, just, just at least in this simulation is, how many things can we get done? Based on this data, based on this three months of historical data that we have for the team, over the next 30 days, and you can see here are some controls, I can say starting today and going 30 days out. Over the next 30 days, Based on this data that we have, how many things are we going to get done? Um, what what and and I'll just give another little thing here. That's this this runs this Monte Carlo. Remember we said we take um, that we run the future, we model model it and run it multiple times. This software does it ten thousand times. So that this is taken this data and modeled it and run the future ten thousand times to figure out what are the probabilities of things happening in the next 30 days. You think it's a good idea we go results backwards or model forwards? Um, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking- Facilitator's choice, you, you, you decide yep. whatever you wanna do. There we go. So in the next 30 days, uh, the, if you look at the results histogram here, this is, the, this is how many items do we expect them to get done. So let's say we wanted to find out if um, if this team can do 80 things in the next 30 days. There is a result for that. It, out of those 10,000 trials, three of them had them competing, completing uh, 80 items. So, which probably means, yes, there is a chance, but it's a very minuscule chance. As we use the, as we model this data and ran it for the next 30 days, 80 times, uh, 80 items got done three times. Now, so uh, so time, roughly, your, your, roughly your chances of um, contracting COVID-19, right? Yeah, pretty oh, much. Oh, wait, is that too soon? Too soon? Maybe that, that might be. Well, people could be watching this much later, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, let's say the result of 31 happened 239 times. In fact, 31 or more happened about 89.9 or 90% of the time. You'll see that result uh, shown right up top here. So about 90% of these simulations had 31 or more things happening. So then the question is, what, are, what is this magic that we're doing in the background to run these simulations? Um, so the way that goes is because we have 30 days left, 
but 30 days we're trying to figure out how much can this team do in 30 days. What we do is we take one of these throughputs from the past, just randomly select one of them and assign it to the next day. Then we go back, pick another throughput, assign it to the following day and do that for each of these 30 days. And once we have done that, we total up how many things got done in that simulation, in that one single string of 30 days. We total that up, total that throughput up for each of those days and go, let's say that total came to 50. We'll, we'll put a mark here at 50 and say the histogram 50 goes up by one. Then we do that again and figure out how many we get done in that next simulation. And it's completely randomized. And we do that over and over again, 10,000 times and come up with all these results. Dan, would you like to go over the results a little more than I just did? Well, yeah, so, so what, what, what Pratik started getting into, because remember we started this whole conversation talking about probabilistic thinking. Okay. Um, and so what this, this histogram that you're seeing right here, as Pratik was just explaining, gives us an understanding of the risk associated with certain outcomes. And we can actually quantify that risk as percentages. And that's what Pratik was roughly going over. He was saying, you know, we've got a less than 1% chance of getting 80 or more done. We've got a, you know, an, a roughly 80 some percent chance of getting 30 or more done, whatever that is. And so that's, that's really what we need to do with this histogram is we need to segment it in such a way that it communicates appropriate levels of risk to us. And you can kind of see there are clues, if you look closely, there are clues already um, there for us. You can see there's a 50% with a dashed line, a 70% with a dashed line, and 85% with a dashed line, and 95% with a dashed line. Um, and, and what that's doing, like I said, is it, it's, it's communicating, those, those lines are communicating risk to us. So, you know, right now Pratik has hovered over the, the 95th percentile. So what, that's, what that is saying is this team, given Given this historical data, this team has a 95% chance of getting 27 or more, or more things done, right? They could get 27 things done, they could get 28 things done, they could get, you know, 80 things done. You know, we, we, you know that's, that's, that's really what that, just what that block, what that segment is saying. You know, they have an 85% chance of getting 33 or more done. So notice um, what's, what's kind of quirky about these results here is, as our confidence, if you will, you know, the, going from a 95% confidence to an 85% confidence, as that confidence shrinks, the number of items that we think we can get done goes up. I don't know, I don't know if that seems intuitive to people or not, but if, if you wanna plan with less confidence, so for example, if we wanna plan at the 50, 50th percentile, roughly flip a coin, that's gonna say um, 42, 42 or more items done. So I believe last time we did, we did talk a lot about, you know, the, the, the flaw of averages. I think we did, didn't we? I don't know. I was, yeah, I was, drunk, I was drunk at the time, so I can't remember. <laughs> um, but I think we did talk about the flaw of averages. And so if you wanted to plan based on average, here we would say, you know what? Half the time we're getting 42 things done. That's our plan. But you'll notice, I think this curve hopefully demonstrates pretty nicely, that half the time, yes, half the time we're getting 42 or more things done. But half the time we're getting 42 or less things done, you know, as well. So um, that's, that's really what we're trying to communicate here is, and that's really what we're trying to segment by using these percentile lines is how much risk are we willing to live with? And then it just really becomes a conversation to understand, you know, for this particular release, for this particular project, for this particular sprint, whatever, 
how much risk are we willing to live with? If you really just want to flip a coin, you know, we're going to say 42 or more. Most often, that's too much risk. Just flipping a coin for, for most planning purposes, that's too much risk. You know, we probably need something a little bit more certain, if you will, or a little, a little bit more confident, I guess is a better way of saying it. You know, so if you yep. go up to the, so, oh, were Sorry. you going to say something? What? I was going to say, what I, what I really like about that is it, it, it shifts the conversation to what the, conversation, the planning conversation always was about. Planning was always about risk, about mitigating risk. And seeing it this way or just interpreting the results as risk, as probabilities, shifts the conversation back to how much risk are we willing to take? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a, uh, a manager or a product owner or somebody can come, come and say, yeah, we absolutely, in the next 30 days, we absolutely have to have 60 things done. Right. We can say, okay, as Pratik was showing us before, yeah, you know, there's a chance of that happening. Absolutely, there's a chance of that happening. But there's a, uh, what is that, about five, a six, seven, six, yeah, six. 5.7, about a 6% chance of that happening. You know, is that is that a bet you're willing to make? And I don't know if we mentioned, if we talked about Andy Duke's book, Thinking in Bets, last time. Again, I, I, we, really, we really should review the tape before we do these things. I think we did. I think we did. Hopefully we did. Um, but this, you know, this is a classic example of you want to think of this as you want to think of your release planning as as betting, essentially as gambling. That's what that's what you're doing. Um, are you are you willing to make a bet on a six percent outcome? You know, or would you rather make a bet on an eighty-five percent outcome or a seventy percent outcome, something like that? Also, is a hint to where the name Monte Carlo comes from. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's you know that's that's at a very, 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 very high level without getting too deep into the mechanics and, and how this works and why this works. You know, that, that's Monte Carlo and how we can use Monte Carlo to help us now to quantify risk um, from a planning perspective to help us start thinking probabilistically about this, these, this uncertain futures. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, we only showed one um, iteration of this or one uh, mode of this, there's also, you might not always have an end date. You might just have an end number of stories. Say, hey, I, I have to get 60 things done. You could do the exact same thing and figure out uh, what, per what percentage of my future simulations <laughs> end up with, it, with 60, 60 things getting done by July 1st. How, what percentage are by August 1st? So you can make the commitment to your customer accordingly to say, I am 85% confident confident that I can, I can get this done by August 1st. Yeah. Now, the, the difficult thing, um, the difficult thing about Monte Carlo simulation, in my humble opinion anyway, and I don't know, I don't know if you had more things that you wanted to say about the mechanics or, or how it works no, or whatever. No, we have no, said enough about that. <laughs> okay, because I was going to transition just very quickly. I was going to transition into um, the difficulty in terms of, you know, how you use this and how you interpret this. Um, because, yeah. you know, the, the, the team itself may understand the ins and outs of Monte Carlo very well. Um, but, but now what the, the, one of the problems is we, we are presenting our, our customers, our stakeholders, our managers, whomever, with much more information than they're probably used to. Um, and they may or may not know how to in, interpret those results, you know, especially when you say, well, you know, um, when they ask, well, how many things can I get done in the next 30 days? Our first question to them has to be, well, how much risk are you willing to live with? Yep. 
And the answer back will almost always be, well, I want 100% certainty. You know, you, you need a plan. You need to tell me with 100% certainty that how many things you can get done. And if critique, I don't know if critique on this, on this graph, if he scrolls all the way over to the right, if he kind of hovers over on the results histogram all the way to the right. To the right. Or sorry, left. Yeah, you're right. My, your, other, yeah. your other right, left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll see there is no such thing as 100%. Just like we talked about before, probabilistic thinking, there's no such thing as 100%. So that's one thing we need to educate you know, our, our customers, our stakeholders on is you know, start, start, thinking, start thinking in terms of um, you know, risk. And the thing right. is, they probably understand this better than you think that they do. Certainly, mm -hmm. you know, executives understand it very well. People in finance understand this very well. Um, they probably understand it much, much, much better. Um, but just maybe as a nice heuristic, well, maybe not even a heuristic, maybe just kind of a nice way of explaining it. If we go through each percentile, or some of the percentiles anyway, that 50th percentile line is, like I said, it's roughly, it's the same chances as flipping a coin, right? I mean, you've got, you know, we've got a 50% chance of getting 42 or more, a 50% chance of getting 42 or less. So, so that's, that's one out of every two. You're going to be wrong one out of every two times. Um, if we go to the 85th percentile, a, a useful way of thinking of that is instead of being wrong one out of every two times, now at the 85th percentile, we're going to be wrong one out of every seven or so times, seven, yeah. right? Six, sometimes is it between six and seven? I don't know. I'm trying to do yeah, the math in my head, but somewhere between six and seven. We're going to be wrong one out of, and so you see we're, we're actually a little bit more confident. To even go from the 85th percentile to the 95th percentile, that's just 10%, if you will, a 10% increase in confidence. Um, at the 95th percentile, now we're only wrong one out of every 20 times. So we've gone from one out of every six and seven, six or seven at the 85th percentile to one out of every 20 at the 95th percentile. And so, of course, your, your product owners or whomever, your stakeholders, whatever, they're going to want to be as confident as possible. But the thing is, every time you take that jump up into confidence, there is a cost associated with that. And that one of the ways, one of the costs that comes is we have to plan for less stuff to get done. If you want to go from the 85th percentile to the 95th percentile, instead of planning for 33 things to get done, now we can only plan for 27 things to get done. That's just the way that it works. So I don't know, did you want to say something about that particular? Did you want to? Well, I was just saying that it's, it's the initial point that you were making of, you know, people don't in general understand it. And if you throw all the information at them, it might just overwhelm them. Um, I think I think if you sit down and have the conversation with the product owner and, and kind of walk them through it, I think they'll totally get it. You'll, 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 you'll totally get it. But that's, that's where the second part of this, which you were talking about comes in, which is even if the person in front of you doesn't understand it, you yourself don't want to be wrong more often. Yeah. So we plan on being, if plan on the 85th or the 95th, so you're long, wrong a lot less often than you would be otherwise. I think, I think that Amazon did something similar when they got hit with recently when everyone was staying home and ordering only off of Amazon. I think they started bumping up their, their estimates and people were a little surprised that you said this will be here in a week, but it got here in two days. Well, they were probably back there modeling and saying that if we got hit with X number of res uh, requests, what's going to happen? When will we get our stuff through? Without having to tell us what percentage of confidence they had, they just bumped it up and said, I want to be wrong less often with my customers' orders. Yep. And so if we talk, I'll yeah. And, 
and if we use the example like we talked about last time with the 2016 election, again, not to get too political yep. or anything, but um, with, the, with the 2016 election, you know, going into it, we modeled Hillary Clinton with a 75% chance of, of winning. Right. That does not mean she wins the election, right? You know, yeah. you still have a one in four chance of Donald Trump winning that, that election, you know, and Absolutely. Un unfortunately or fortunately, depending on, on your political persuasion, um, you know, the, Donald Trump wins that election. But that, that doesn't mean that the model was wrong. That doesn't mean that you were, um, you know, we, we necessarily screwed up how we, we, we did our forecasting. Um, but it could mean maybe we just got unlucky or lucky again, depending on how, how you look at it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that everyone, I think every, everyone trying to do any kind of forecast who has data, uh, seems to do any, any, anyone publishing for forecast seems to do. It's the same thing with, well, last time we talked about, um, the uh, Google estimating how long it will take you to get somewhere. They're doing some of that. In fact, I am sure what they're also doing, Waze and Google, all of them are taking real-time data as it's coming in from other cars and applying that and saying, hey, you, we, I know we said it'll be 30 minutes, but we're getting more data. And each, each throughput point here is that data that comes in and saying, we said 30 minutes, but we saw that there's a slowdown up ahead. It'll actually be 40 minutes. So this, uh, to, to me, this is kind of the, the next kind of logical transition for this conversation. And we should talk about whether we talk, whether we have this conversation now or whether we save it for a future episode, take a drink. Um, but that is this idea of, you know, continuous forecasting, you know, because we haven't mm -hmm. talked about, we've, hopefully we've shown everybody here using very, very simple. And by the way, the, you know, what, what, what you see here, um, you know, it can be done in a spreadsheet. You can, God forbid, if, if you like spreadsheets, you could run Monte Carlo forecasts in, in a spreadsheet. You, you know, there's no magic math behind it. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, very simple, very, very straightforward technique. Um, and because of that, what that means is, is that as, you know, as our projects are running, as our releases are running and we get more information, we get more data about how things are going, we should constantly be updating our forecast to reflect that new data and, and rerunning our forecast to see has anything fundamentally changed? You know, have, are we now incurring more risk than we thought that we would, or are we still on track or, or whatever? And do we need to, need, do we need to adjust accordingly? So again, I don't know. I mean, we've been going for a while here. I don't know if we want to spend any time now talking about continuous forecasting and we could even run through the, the ultimate software dashboard that we, we published in the, in the yeah, we could, we, could, we could do that real quick. It's, 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 yeah, I don't think we can dedicate a, enough time to it, <laughs> but we can definitely run through it real quick. It's, it's, um, just to, just to jump onto the point that you were making earlier. It's kind of like, um, it, you guys should, anyone listening to this, you should definitely try this. Take, take a, take a screenshot of your weather prediction from, uh, from Sunday when your weatherman comes on the TV and does a prediction. Or weather and woman, then, or weather person. Or weather woman, yes, 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 weather person. Yeah. When your weather person comes onto the TV and does the prediction um, for the week, take a screenshot of it and then watch it every day. Take screenshots every day and you'll see how it changes as they get more information. They don't, they don't just go, I made the prediction, that is it. 
Um, that's the plan and and the plan we got the plan we got to work the plan and because we made the plan and that's the plan is more important than anything else right it's because we got the plan yeah that is now the plan so we can't just say that it's not the plan yeah look look how much look how much effort we put into putting this putting this plan together what you're telling me it's wrong that's not right we planned so much to plan this (laughs) (laughs) moving on is this so uh, as we were talking about um, the weatherman or the weatherwoman forecasting over and over again as they get new information um, there is we have the ability to grab um, our information for our teams from whichever systems we are working in for example if you're working in Jira you could pull all the information on throughput and and uh, remaining features and remaining stories for a team and do this over and over again. The same thing we showed in, in, in the tool earlier, in the other tool earlier of, of results of Monte Carlo. Um, this dashboard here, this, this uh, screenshot that we're showing you does the exact same thing. Um, you can see this is a little older. This is from 2017. Um, but for each row here is a team their release, so for example, this integration services team has a release coming up on January 2017 on, th- on the 31st of January, and they have five stories to get done by then. And when we do the exact same thing, we pull their latest throughput and we run Monte Carlo on that, it seems like they'll get done. They have an 80.58% chance of getting done by January 31st. Um, and we do that every 15 minutes. We pull Data, as soon as a, as, as, as a team has closed a story, we've pulled that data 15 to 20 minutes later, we've run simulations and found out this team supposedly went from five stories to four stories. What is the likelihood that that will get done now by January 31st? We can do this over and over again as we get new data. Yeah, so this is what you're showing here is really kind of the essence of continuous forecasting. This is continuous forecasting in practice. Um, this, what Pratik is showing you right now, is part of a case study that we published from Ultimate Software. If, if you literally just Google Ultimate Kanban InfoQ, you will see a write-up on, in terms of how we um, uh, of how we use continuous forecasting in practice. Uh, but let's now maybe transition back to the, uh, the the tool itself, and we can kind of show you how continuous forecasting might work. Um, using using the, the tool, so you know there there's there's kind of a view control there. It's kind of kind of hiding, but the the kind of middle section of this this chart that we're showing you is a way to go in, yeah, and select a certain date range, because we might say, okay, yeah, you know what, we've got we've got three months of data here, three months of historical data here, but maybe that that first month is is not really relevant. Um, and we really want to talk about what's happened because, you know, maybe the team has changed, maybe the technology has changed, maybe something fundamentally about the release has changed. And really only the last 30 days or so is relevant. So we can go in, and this is that idea of continuous forecasting, is we can go in and we can select whatever we think that appropriate date range is and possibly include new, and I should say probably include new throughput data um, that we're getting in every day. Um, and I don't know if everybody can see that as Pratik was shifting around that window, um, that selected window, the model itself was changing or the, the results itself were changing. They were changing, they're changing in real time. They're changing instantaneously. Um, and that's, that's what we need to do. That's what, you know, they were essentially screenshotting the, the weather forecast, right? 
That's exactly what we need to do is as we get new information, it would be rather silly to not at least consider what that new information is and how it might impact our, you know, our, our outcomes. And because these tools make it so easy for us to do that, you really don't have an excuse not to. That I I do I do sympathize with um, with people's perspective of we planned for this we spent time there's 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 a certain um, a certain sunk cost fallacy attached to we spent a good amount of time estimating getting the team together figuring out what we can do and we should try to stick to that as much as possible because we did that. But the fact of the matter is ground conditions change. Uh, things happening on the team change. The rate at which we thought we would be able to eat through this project changes, and we should react to that. There is, there is no, um, th there are very few other professions where people won't react to that okay. as ground conditions change. For, for you sports fans out there, um, you know, I don't know whether you're a cricket fan or a World Cup fan or an NFL fan or whatever, there are tons of websites that you can go to and you know as the game as your your favorite game is being played you can see you know your percentage chance of, of your team winning and you will see that as the game progresses you know as teams score or as they don't score um, those probabilities will change and that, that's that's one classic example of continuous forecasting as the game is running we're getting more information you know hey this team scored this team didn't score this team got out this team whatever um, mm -hmm. Whenever those events happen, you go and you update your model and you get an updated probability of, of, of what's happening. Yeah, and, and again, we don't have time today to dive too much into it. Uh, if you take yourself out of the chair of the fan and put yourself into the chair of the coach, if, as you see those probabilities change, as you see these results change, it's imperative that you make some changes as that you take decisions to affect them one way or another, which could, you've got a variety of decisions at your at hand. Yep, if, yep, I think yep. fans would be pretty upset if um, if a coach is in the Super Bowl and the team's lead uh, is is uh, losing at halftime and they don't make any adjustments. Right, or they're losing with two minutes to go and they're not they don't go for it on fourth down. You know, whatever. Yeah, your your tactics. Yeah. At some point, your tactics have to change based on the new information that you get, based on the new, uh, the new data that you're provided. So um, we've thrown a lot at you in this episode. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that we really want to cover before we? we... I, yeah, well, we, we, I think we exceeded our whip on yeah, I think we did. how many things we should talk about in one episode. We probably should have split out the continuous forecasting into a separate episode. Maybe <laughs> we'll do that in post, you know? Um, yeah. If you see us show up again with a full glass of whiskey talking about continuous forecasting, then you will, you will know what happened. Yeah. Um, any, um, as always, Pratik, as the guest, I will let you have the final word about, um, about anything that we've talked about tonight, you know, taking from probabilistic uh, thinking all the way to using Monte Carlo simulation. Sum it up for us. Well, I think it's, it's uh, I'm going to try to distill it down into steps. First, start thinking probabilistically, acknowledging there are multiple, uh, m multiple possibilities that can happen. To have some tools at hand, do some modeling slash simulation to find out what is the probability attached to each of those possibilities. And most importantly, three, um, 
take action when those tools tell you that the probabilities are not in favor of the possibilities that you want. Excellent job. So couldn't, I mean, I could have done it better myself, but I'm going to tell you that I, I couldn't have done it better myself. So um, with that, we will, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, for Pratik Singh, uh, you know, I am Daniel Vacanti. Thank you again for, uh, for joining us on this episode. Uh, and we'll see you next time on Drunk Agile. Cheers, everybody. Good night. Cheers.